Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. So for the second Metal Matters in a row, I'm on the road while recording this, so apologies in advance for any sound quality issues. Uh, Whereas last time out, I was in transit from Switzerland to Brazil for work. This time I'm headed to the wonderful island of Islay, off the west coast of Scotland, for a short break. Islay is, of course, most famous for being whiskey central, but even in this industry, there's pressure to decarbonise with the Brooklandia distillery in the process of setting up a green hydrogen-based pilot plant to heat the pot. So I think solely in the interest of research, it's extremely important that I pay it a visit while I'm there. First of all, this week I wanted to highlight our latest metals and mining quarterly outlook that was published just over a week ago. Forecasting commodity prices is hard at the best of times. With everything that's going on in the world, this is certainly not the best of times. Indeed, just reflecting on 2022 to date, a storm of supply disruptions, logistic issues, sanctions, financial short squeezes, purchasing manager panic has seemed some of the most dramatic metals and bulk commodity moves seen in history. Quite frankly, commodity prices could go anywhere in the near term, particularly with supply issues very much to the fore. However, if you take a step back and think about the implications, many of the global dynamics now expected over the coming years, whether that be a renewed push for energy independence, which we'll talk about in a bit, or a segmentation of global trade flows, are inherently inflationary in the medium term. The past 20 years has seen supply chains optimised wherever possible as the globalisation mantra progressed. However, we are now looking at a prolonged period where the marginal commodity units available to buyers will have been reduced and potentially now come from a source which is suboptimal from a logistics or technical perspective. And typically, these will cost more to source and process, a cost which will be ultimately passed on to the end consumer. Meanwhile, we're also looking at a world where energy prices are set to be higher than expected norms for a number of years, which for those metals and bulk commodities exposed to power prices or freight rates, through cost structures will set a higher base than we would have previously envisioned. Also, whether it be in the battery value chain, uranium, steel and aluminium products, security of supply is now paramount after the recent period of disruption. We would expect to see more bilateral contract agreements and integration of the metals and mining industry into wider value chains, which in my view is a potentially a re-rating event for the equities over the coming year. How do commodity problems in the world typically get solved? Quite simply, China. The past 20 years have seen either Chinese demand adapt to higher or lower prices, and the same true for price elastic Chinese supply. If you remember, during the last Metal Matters, I discussed how Chinese purchasers might soak up newly available Russian units in many markets. But what about those markets where both China and Russia are net exporters, such as steel and aluminium, where we see additional Europe import needs over and above what we might have thought, 5 to 10 million tonnes in the case of steel, 1 million tonnes in the case of aluminium, going to refined output cuts in the region? Well, with high steel prices in global markets, there's certainly been some debate as to whether Chinese exports would increase to take advantage of this, given a similar situation last year coupled with weak Chinese demand actually saw net exports decline. With the decarbonisation agenda taking a backseat for now, increasingly there is evidence that Chinese exporters are significantly more active, with Chinese mills now offering steel slab exports into the Asian and European market to make up for lost supply from Russia. And as a semi-finished product, this would go totally against Chinese government policy to move away from 
carbon-intensive commodity exports. We also see Chinese mills undercutting Japanese export offers for plate and hot roll coil by over $100 a tonne and actively trying to increase market share. So expect to see Chinese steel and aluminium semis exports rising by 50% year-on-year perhaps this year. If we switch over to coal markets, we'd expect China to step back markedly from imports amid the high prices with the renewed domestic production push announced in recent weeks absolutely key to this. And that should free up more seaborne coal for other buyers. I'd also think we might see China switch from a net alumina importer to an exporter over the coming months. Near term, we've been cutting metal demand forecasts. Medium term, not so. It is fair to say that given the spike in energy prices globally, there is a natural concern that green principles might be walked back by governments in the face of potential consumer unrest with short-term needs outweighing longer-term goals. And there is no doubt that this crystallises that changing energy sources in a planned manner has to be a transition rather than a quantum leap. Germany is perhaps a case in point. So Thermocol has been given them a stay of execution over the next five years. Longer term, however, we are very much in the camp that while overall metals demand might take a short-term hit, particularly in Europe, as the economy enters recession, but there is definitely public will to boost energy independence and stop funding Russia. And this will drive policy towards boosting energy transmission spending in the medium term. If nothing else, it's a political vote winner for incumbent governments. We are upping our EU demand forecasts to the middle of this decade, can almost be argued this is an extension of the increased defence spend we're seeing. Also, energy independence isn't just an EU desire. We anticipate the knock-on impact of Russia's invasion of Ukraine to be for more economies to seek additional renewable installations. In case you missed it, China's latest new energy plan boasts a 30% addition to install power capacity by 2025 over N2020 levels, mainly again to increase renewable installations as part of the rural revitalisation agenda. India has also stated that the share of coal-fired power and total generation capacity planned to drop from 52% currently to 32% by 2030. The energy transition is naturally positive thematic for metal demand, but the net effect of recent developments could be to accelerate this over the coming years. I'd also note that the role of nuclear power as a low-carbon baseload option has undoubtedly been given a boost bolstering expectations for potential uranium demand in a market which has been in the doldrums for much of the past decade. Finally, while we are talking about the energy transition, the push to secure critical materials continues. One of the key second-order effects of the situation that's developed with Russia and energy is a renewed focus on China's dominance of battery raw materials. Well, Chinese supply has become a key part of many midstream and downstream commodity value chains over the past 20 years. In batteries, China also has a technology lead. And we now have President Biden adding battery materials to the list of items covered by the Defence Protection Act, which could help domestic mining and processing firms access government capital to promote security of supply. This wouldn't cover strategic purchases by the DLA, but it would fund productivity upgrades at existing operations. Funding will be easier, and this may accelerate installation of refining and processing assets for critical materials, but we still expect that permitting of new mines will prove challenging, which might well be the weak point in the wider strategy. Just as a reminder, lithium-ion batteries now account for over 400 gigawatt hours of installations on an annual basis. It have now surpassed lead-acid batteries for the first time, and 
I mean, to put this in context, as recently as 2015, lead-acid batteries represented 80% of sales in the battery market. The lithium-ion is now very much in the ascendancy, and this highlights actually some of the longer-term challenges to the lead market. With relatively stagnant end demand, high degree of recyclability, or if you want to put it another way, a well-established circular economy, and the coming wave of lithium-ion batteries coming to end of first-life use in electric vehicles, you can easily foresee a situation where the world simply doesn't need much more primary-mined lead. The effect of this, interestingly, would be a rise in longer-term zinc prices, because we do need to keep some of these marginal polymetallic mines operating in a zinc market that's not seeing much new capital investment. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. If you have any questions or suggestions, just get in touch directly. And if you're enjoying these insights, please do subscribe if you have not yet done so. I do hope you can join me next time to discuss more pertinent issues for metals and bulk commodity markets. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton at bmo.com. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure.